who knows how late I was. It wasn't a long time at all. So he's got a kidnap victim in her car. Of course, every unit in the city is now looking. He was headed towards a shopping center, an apartment complex, an elementary school, and a high school. And he was gonna take another hostage or something, and it was gonna be a bad deal. I'm it now, because all the other patrol officers, they've all stopped. And I wait for him to clear this telephone pole, and then I just gun it. Welcome back to the Snitch Podcast. Our guest this week is a 30-year veteran of law enforcement. He's currently retired and enjoying it. This was the fifth recording that we've done, and uh, this one was fueled by a whole lot of whiskey on an empty stomach. I don't recommend it, but we ended up with an amazing recording. Our guest worked patrol, he worked narcotics, and he worked violent crimes. That's crimes against people. He specifically talks about crimes against children. And while it may take a special person to become a law enforcement officer, it takes a particularly special police officer to investigate crimes against children, specifically sex crimes and other crimes of abuse. This is a very special episode for us. Riley took four hours of recording and got it down to under two hours for us. Riley, what did it take to do that? For me, it took a whole lot of patience, for one. It took several nights of listening and rewinding and listening and rewinding and cutting until we had whittled it down quite a lot. There was a lot of material that was really good. The whole thing was great, start to finish, but in taking out a lot of the material that would not have been as meaningful with context became obsolete and ultimately had to be cut. Tristan, you're on the mic with us tonight. Yes, I am. During this episode, I wasn't, though. You weren't. There were uh, four people present during this episode, but you were, uh, as our fine spirits advisor, you'd done research the night before and uh, couldn't partake. Yeah, the previously conducted research left me incapacitated, so I was not able to participate. However, you know, during that time, you'd expect me to be on my phone and not be paying attention. But for the most part, that phone was out of my hands and I was listening, even for the full four hours. Regardless of how much alcohol were in them, the stories that were being told were very meaningful and emotional and very interesting to listen to. So you don't have to be drunk to listen to this episode. You can be stone cold sober or hungover and still enjoy yourself. Uh, lastly, we want to say that we've noticed that there's a lot of people on Graveyard that are downloading this episode. We appreciate it. We appreciate all the listeners. We appreciate the feedback we've been getting. This one's a special episode for us, guys. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. And I know you're going to remember some of the conversation. Without further ado, here is episode five, Greg's Four Rules. Turn out car. Two out of 21, two out of 22, two out of 11, and two out of 12 regarding a gunshot wound victim at 333 North 58th Street. 333 North 58th Street. Shots fired in the cafeteria at Thurston High School. 
I might be, I'm the only guy that I know of. I can't believe that I'm the only guy out there though, that doesn't miss that job. And I miss it every day. Uh, I loved it. I mean, I loved, uh, you know, I loved being a cop and I loved, uh, being the guy that, uh, people depended on, you know, to help them in times of need. I know that sounds corny and everything, but, uh, you know, when, uh, you're going to some hot call and somebody's in real need of immediate help, you know, to know that you're one of the few that's out there in the whole city that's doing, that's going to do that for them. You know, to me, that was, that was kind of a big thing. Um, and with that goes, you know, I, I say, I miss that. Well, I miss the adrenaline too. I mean, I miss that ad- adrenaline rush. Oh yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's no job like it. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's the ticket to the best seat in the house to the greatest show on earth. So that's a good way to explain it. <laughs> yeah. So what is, I don't know, Riley might have, might be able to perform this better than I would. So what's, cause you know, you're like, you know, like people ask you like, what's the, you get the stupid, you get stupid questions, you know, like, sure. Ask, yeah. What's the grossest thing you ever, oh, yeah. I'm not going to ask you any of that. Right. Oh, we won't, but, but like, what's the most, what's, what's the funniest thing that you can think of right now? Oh, well, you know, first of all, I, I got to, uh, you know, we, we should probably qualify funny because <laughs> well, funny to a cop is not necessarily funny to, well, funny, it would be funny to me and it would be funny to you, but it might not be, and we don't care about anybody else. Okay. This <laughs> <laughs> isn't really for anybody else. No, okay. it's really not. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know. If I sat down and just thought about it, uh, you know, I'd probably come up with a whole bunch of things. In fact, there are things that I might run into somebody and they'll mention a word and it triggers a memory in my mind about some hilarious thing that I ran into. But one of the, one of the funniest things, like I said, to me, not necessarily to Joe Public. Right. Was a night that uh, I had, I was on patrol and uh, I had uh, been back on patrol for maybe about a year after I'd come out of uh, INET, which was uh, narcotics. And I, I'd, I'd done a stint there. I'd basically gone in my career, I'd, I'd gone from patrol to INET to patrol to violent crimes and then back to patrol. Oh, okay. So, um, I, uh, I had been in INET. I, uh, transferred out, got moved back to patrol. Um, I'm working a a swing shift night in during the summer and it's uh, early evening. And, uh, there's this, uh, family dispute. It's an outside family dispute. It's not within a house, but it's outside and it's at this residence. And my uh, cover unit and I, we go there, and it is an older couple, husband-wife team, versus their own children, which are adults, about three adults. I think it was something like two daughters and a son. And they've got their kids there. So basically, you've got 
grandparents, you've got parents, and you've got grandkids. And it was a property issue, which, you know, when it comes to families, it happens, you know. And so the, the, the grandparents, they believed that they owned this property. I'm talking about the house and, and uh, the kids, they owned it. And, well, the grandparents, they're, to be honest with you, they're out of control. They're borderline nuts. And their kids are like, as far as interaction with us, the police, they're like, we're so sorry. We can't believe, we're sorry that you're involved in this and that you have to do it, do this. And I said, well, this is your property, right? And they said, yeah, this is ours. And um, I asked, you know, the grandparents said, yeah, it's their property, but we deserve it. Okay. Well, they refused to leave. And so we talk them in. Eventually, we do talk them in to leave, and they take off. Well, you you leave those calls, and you know you're coming back. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> One of those calls. Right. Yeah. About 15 minutes minutes later, we're coming back because the grandparents they weren't going to let their own kids have the last word. So here we go again. You know they're out in the middle of the street screaming, yelling. This is the neighborhood, man. People are watching. So. We deal with the grandparents, and they're they're just pissed at us. You know, we're the enemy now. Okay, so which is actually can work for you because they, I'd rather them be pissed off at me. It kind of takes it off the kids, and uh, you know, saves some of the having to deal with with that problem. But uh, we get them to leave one more time, and basically because we're threatening them now with a trespass arrest. And because um, it had it, been determined by that time, it was the kid's property. Kids didn't want them arrested, obviously. Um, but uh, we're getting to that point now. We got to do something because it's, it's going to be a, a joke. And I'm tired of dealing with them. My partner's tired of dealing with them. So, okay, they leave. Well, we know we're coming back, <laughs> and it's 15 minutes later. We get the call. My partner and I, we, we drove about two blocks away. We just parked. We knew we knew we were going back. <laughs> and so um, we get there. There they are again. They're on the property. They're screaming at their own kids. And uh, I step up. I asked the kids. I said, hey, we're at the point now that, you know, basically now, uh, I hate to put it this way, but we're babysitting you this whole shift and we got other things that we need to be doing. And, and they were there, you know, like I said, they're very nice. They said, we understand. And, uh, if it comes to it, okay, you know, we'll sign the paper. And so I go over to the grandparents. I said, look, man, this is the last, if you don't leave or if you come back, we're going to arrest you because that's what it is now. Now it's a trespass issue. Grandpa looks at me, pokes me in the chest, says, you're a fucking asshole, as he's poking me in the chest. And I go to like, I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is easy now because he's going to jail and I can charge him with, you know, physical harassment. It's a done deal. This problem's over, solved. 
So I got to reach for him and I noticed he's wearing these beige, like khaki shorts. All of a sudden, that location in the front starts getting darker <laughs> and he has pissed himself. <laughs> and I think, oh, and he drops. You know, it's a, he's had a heart attack. Oh, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> and he's had a heart attack. And I'm like, see, I'm, and I'm the, my partner and I, I'm the senior guy. So I'm the smarter guy generally. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I take chest compressions, <laughs> which means leaves him with mouth to mouth. So grandpa drops like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> and I go, oh man. No pulse. Okay. I start the chest compressions. My partner's doing the mouth to mouth. I've got grandma now hitting me. You know how they are. She's behind me. She's hitting me in the back, screaming I've killed her husband. And <laughs> so now you hear sirens because some neighbors called. <laughs> the cops are getting hit. They're trying to save a guy, you know. And so all these sirens are coming. And we had put out and a request for an ambulance anyway. Ambulance gets there. They haul him up. They take him to the hospital. Um, and uh, my partner and I, we leave the scene. We go to the hospital. We're walking into the ER. We're in the parking lot, my partner and I. And, and uh, he looks at me and goes, you know, this is the blue folder from hell. And a blue folder at our department was a, uh, a complaint. Because they all came in blue folders. And uh, so... I said, oh, yeah. So we get in there, and uh, of course the guy's died. So the last words that that guy ever said in his life was calling me an asshole. <laughs> he pissed himself and died. Yep. <laughs> Called me an asshole, pissed his pants, died. <laughs> <laughs> and we're laughing about it because it's funny. It's cop funny. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so sorry for the kids, though. You know, they were like, we left before we left. They're coming up and, you know, they're apologizing to us about what we'd been through. And I'm like, your dad is probably dead, you know. And, but, uh, you know, they were pretty gracious. So, <laughs> grandma was not happy. I remember my dad when I was a kid, we'd drive, you know, to California and be like, listen, the closer we get to California, because we lived up by Portland, the mm -hmm. weirder people get. Oh yeah, yeah. There's no question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, true. Out of all the cases in our unit, in our cases uh, in violent crimes, if you took all the cases that we get, you know, murders on down to felony assaults, the vast majority were sex crimes, and of those, the vast majority were involving children. So, I mean, you. There were times, you know, I'd count the cases on my desk that, you know, I was working on. And they were like anywhere from like 15 to 30 at one time. And uh, most of those cases were kid cases. So uh, after a while, there are some of those or some types of those that you kind of, at least I found myself kind of getting used to in terms of dealing with what one human can do to a kid. Uh, but you know, there are a couple that go 
you know, really uh, over the top. They're all over the top, but there are a couple that, you know, stick with you. I think people don't, especially with the way the media is today, because A, nobody wants to hear about it. I mean, exactly. You know, they fucking made Michael Jackson a hero and fuck that guy. Yep. You know, until HBO came out with their stuff. Uh huh. (laughs) Yeah. uh, But, you know, so, I mean, but that's, I mean, that, that stuff is just not pleasant to deal with, but nobody wants to hear about it. Nobody wants to hear about it, uh, and uh, nobody wants to talk about it. Um, but I will say one thing. You know, when I was growing up, you know, when I was a kid, they'd show you the movies in school about don't get in the car with a stranger. The guy was always in a black car. Always. Maybe it was because I was watching it in black and white, but (laughs) (laughs) the guy was always in a black car and he was always offering you candy. What they never told you was, what happens to you if you get in the car? They never told you that you were going to be sexually assaulted and or killed. They never told you that. It's just, don't, don't get in the car. Nowadays, you know, when my kids were growing up anyway, I know what they'd tell me what they were learning in school. And uh, it was a little bit more open. They still weren't getting graphic or anything like that. But, uh, you know, at least it had come about that far. Um, But, you know, and I'd tell my kids, look, man, if it's not me, if it's not your mom, or if it's not somebody that we've made an arrangement with, you're not getting in anybody's car. I don't care if you know them. Right, and that's that's what uh, I remember. My dad, and this this will track back in a second, but that's what my dad used to say, you know, to me. And then, and I was, I was like, well, that's weird, you know, like why would right. you know, why would you say you know, why? And if somebody comes to the door and they say they know you and uh-huh. or they know us and they want to take you some more, don't go. And I was like, that's those that's just weird to say. Like I don't get it. But then mm-hmm. when I started to write <clears throat> the book. Um, in doing research, I, I realized that the time he's telling me that is like the time that those two girls like you know, got disappeared. Right. You know, and like shit like that was going on. But, yeah. And it was going on really, really close to where we were. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. People are getting into cars with people they know. Yeah. And doesn't always end up well. Right. So. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, they have come a way, a a long ways in terms of, you know, trying to be more open about it, but still in terms of, uh, talking about the problem in general, sexual abuse of kids, physical abuse of kids, um, unless you are involved in a, you know, police work or social services, who talks about it? You know, um, the one that stays with me um, isn't even. Uh, it's not. It's it's not even a, a, a sexual assault of a child. It's a. Uh, it's probably the most 
egregious case of taking a child's dignity away that I ran into myself. I had a case um, where mom has two kids. She's got a uh, one that's about nine years old. That's the oldest. And uh, she has a uh, younger child, about one. The one-year-old is in diapers. The nine-year-old is a nine-year-old. So she's getting around and mom works. She's got a uh, live-in boyfriend, not the father of either one of these kids. Of course, you know, you know what we call live-in boyfriends working sex crimes. We have a nickname for him. It's called Probable Cause. But uh, she calls because the nine-year-old has told her that, I'll call him John. I forget his name. Anyway, um, John has done something bad to her. And, and so we set up the uh, interview at uh, where they interview the kids. And I, I got my age wrong on the youngest. She, uh, the youngest is about three, actually, because uh, she was verbal. And um, so they brought both kids in. Nine-year-old discloses that uh, she was home with her sister and John. And while mom was at work, this was during the day, John's watching TV like apparently he does every day because he's an employed piece of shit and living off mom. And uh, the uh, youngest one is crying, the three-year-old. The nine-year-old, you know, she's playing, minding her own business. And John tells her to make the young one shut up, stop crying. Nine-year-old's not able to do it. You know, she's nine years old. She's not a mom. She, you know, it's not her job anyway. And uh, so John gets pissed off, takes the uh, uh, kid was in uh, like these, you know, pampers or something that she's wearing. The young one pooped her pants. Makes the nine-year-old eat it. Oh, God. And uh, uh, so uh, the nine-year-old eventually tells mom that this had occurred. During the interview, of course, the nine-year-old discloses, you know, she says what happened. The interview with the uh, younger girl, um, like I said, she, you know, she's verbal. Um, and I'll never forget the look on her face because we were as officers, as detectives, we were able to monitor the interview, uh, by video in, from another room. So I'm watching the video of this and I'm watching this and, um, the little girl, she's coloring and the interviewer asks her, you know, what happened? And uh, I'll call the older girl Mary. And uh, the younger girl says, she doesn't even look up. She's still coloring. And uh, she says, John made Mary eat poop. And I got to tell you, Scott, at that point, if that guy had been sitting next to me, my hand's around his throat. I mean, it's just, I'm so angry. And taken aback by, you know, what this guy did. Uh, taken aback in a disgusted way, 
not necessarily surprised because by that time I'd seen things that, you know. So I go back to the office and I'm going to get that guy that day. Oh, um, hell yeah. He's, he's going to go. And hook up with my partner. Uh, and uh, I tell her what happened. She's just, you know, she's pissing out too. So I, I call mom. Uh, I said, hey, uh, we're coming out there today and we're, we're going to arrest him. And she was actually cool about that. You know, a lot of these mothers with the living boyfriend, man, they go crazy if you really, you know, they never believe their kids. You know, they go crazy when the boyfriend goes to jail, you know, whatever. Not her. She was down with it. So uh, I said, I'll call you. She was going to be home. John was going to be home because he had nothing else to do except lay on the couch, watch prices right. And um, so she's at home. Uh, John's there. Kids are there. I scout out the place. I call for some units to cover the back. And we have a canine on that day. Oh, good. A dog story. It is a dog story. <laughs> I get, I draw out this, you know, I hook up with these patrol officers, probably about uh, the canine officer, the dog, and a couple other patrol officers. And I give them the lowdown on what happened, right? And they're, they all want a piece of this guy, you know. I said, you know what? Here's what's going to happen. Uh, Tracy and I are going to go in the front, and I'll call the mom. She's going to answer the door. And, uh, um, if he runs, we ain't chasing him. <laughs> <laughs> so they set up and I called mom. I said, Hey, we're, we're just down the street. And so I asked her questions that she could ask in a yes, no fashion. I said, is he there? Yes. Is he in the living room? Yes. Okay. So we knock on the door. She answers the door. He's laying on the couch watching TV. I badge him. I tell him he's under arrest. Boom. Out the back he goes. Next thing you hear is bark, bark, bark. Ouch, ouch, ouch. <laughs> so, yeah, he got taken into custody and uh, it took him back to the department for you know my interview which i knew was going to be short i didn't need him to tell me anything anyway i wasn't you know and uh you know advise him his rights and uh ask him if he wants to talk about you know what happened tells me to fuck off so that was the end of that interview and and off to the jail he went but yeah but you know that particular you know, in, in terms of like making headlines or anything, it's not even a major case. It, it doesn't even make the papers. But, you know, doing that to another person, uh, especially, you know, a kid, Child, yeah. um, you know, but yeah. It's, uh, so, yeah, that one sticks with me. And maybe the others don't in terms of the sexual abuses of these kids or the physical abuses because there were so many of them. And, and there was, there's kind of a, 
a pattern among those. This was out of the ordinary. This was something different. Yeah. And um, so, yeah. That one. If he had in that interview room wanted to go, that would have been my lottery day. <laughs> That's my lottery winning right there. Yeah. yeah. That's a fucked up story with a happy ending though. How how long did that guy go to prison for? Do you remember? Oh, I you know what? It probably wasn't much. Uh it was uh a coercion charge. Yeah, so oh, yeah, so not very yeah, much. So. But still. Yeah. Like see that's the shit that like people don't No, that's not don't, making the like, papers. They don't understand that that's what happens behind a closed door. Like when this whole COVID thing lifts. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, you're going to get some disclosures. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like you like you've never fucking seen before. Yeah. Right. You putting these people in all the same in the same house right. for that amount of time, for that long, you know. I'm actually surprised that uh, there hasn't been a homicide or two as a result that I've heard about anyway. Well, Jeff and I had a case involving a music teacher who had back in the '70s abused uh, several boys. Uh, and in the seventies got his car stolen. They do a search on the car prior to it getting towed and they find all the, uh, Polaroids at the time that he'd taken of these victims. And at the time they made, they went to all the schools and were able to put names to these boys and made a case against this guy. Okay. He goes to prison, gets out goes back to teaching music. How? No way. Yeah. It's the same thing, man. It, it was, he gets off parole and he's allowed to teach music again. How does that even happen? You, yeah, I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. Uh, that was a question that came up a bunch of times. <laughs> anyway, uh, goes up. We get a disclosure from a kid who's one of his students. Do a search warrant on his business and his home. Of course, we do this. We find the same thing: pictures of new victims and such. And uh, we actually backtrack to uh, find more victims, of course, much like they did in the '70s. And we had people calling us saying that they had been victims of his way back when the the earliest victim, the earliest date of a victim that we found 1954 no fucking way yeah 1954 so this guy's got a freaking family tree now of victims so i mean his kids have his victims have kids of their own you know things like that and i'm talking about a sexual or a, a family tree now of sex offenders because you know what happens to these victims a lot of times yeah they turn into sex offenders i was arresting people yeah. who were his victims. Yeah. And uh, true story, I interviewed a guy in the interview room one day and he's victimized this kid, right? And sexually abused this, this boy. And I did some research on him and, and he was one of our guys. 
because I'd recognize the name. And I go, I think that's one of uh, Lauren Six's victims. Sure enough, he is. You know what? He's not copping to it, you know, to doing what he did to this kid. And I said, you know what? Lauren Six sat in that same chair about a year ago and told us the same thing. And you see the look on his face and he's like, don't even compare me to Lauren Six. I said, you know what? You're doing that yourself. What's the difference now? What's the difference between you and Lauren Six right now? And he copped to it. Lauren Six had a family tree of sexual abuse victims and offenders. Well, they turned around and offended, and mm-hmm. those guys are people are going to offend. And yeah, Jesus. You know, and you know, the victims are the ones. You know, they're no amount of prison time a guy gets fixes what the victims had to go through. You know, they're living with this. So and when, when a guy calls me in, you know, like 2000 and says he's been living with this since 1954, but he never told anybody because, you know, of the, the embarrassment and the shame. Yeah. What kind of tolls it taken on that guy? Oh man. I took this, uh, I took this uh, death investigation class, and that's back when, like, we weren't really doing DNA here, but they were doing it on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Like, they were doing touch DNA and stuff like that. And uh, I remember this. So, this guy was a homicide detective in Virginia Beach. He, I remember he said, he's like, I, he goes, I am 100% heterosexual. And he goes, there is no amount of counseling or prison or rehabilitation that's going to turn me into a homosexual. Mm-hmm. So he goes, he goes, so people that like kids, he's like, there's no amount of, there's no amount of counseling. Oh, They're he's just absolutely like right. Wired that way. Yeah. 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 And, but- and that really, really like stuck with me. I have said this for years. The three most useless words in the English language, sex offender treatment. Oh, yeah. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. There is no way that you take some pedophile and make, not make him get, have those desires. It doesn't work. Sex offender treatment, what a joke. You know, batter's intervention. That's a joke too, but you know. What's that? Batters intervention. I don't know. Um, I don't know. What is that? Abuse. Oh. Oh, yeah. Batterers. Yeah, batterers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you're a fucking asshole towards... You're if you're an like asshole towards women or women, your partner... Yeah, you're just... You're an asshole. You're, and you're going to yeah, always right. be an asshole. Yeah. I'm going to be the first one to tell you that I have no... I'll never have any compassion or feelings of sorrow towards a sex offender. I just won't. I, I, it, it's not in me. Uh, I don't care what I read in the future that somebody might throw in front of my face to try and convince me otherwise or what kind of proof they'll throw at me. 
No, it's not going to happen. Sex offenders. They are, I have always compared them to rabid dogs. Can't control themselves. Oh, hell no. Nope. So, but that's just me and my jaded view of life. When were you, uh, when were you in investigations over there? Um, I was in there twice, so. I left in, uh, I don't know, 2003 or four. So I was in there like three and a half years, and then I was in there a short time a couple of years later. Uh-huh. So like I just, <clears throat> just left and actually had Tristan in the car with me. And uh, you, you're too little to remember this, but so we got paged out for SWAT. And I took him, you were at school, and uh, took him, little brother, we were literally like down the block. And I turned around and drove him back to the babysitter. And I was like, I, uh, yeah, I, I'll be back when I'm back. Sorry, I'm sorry. I was supposed to have him today, but I had Sarah, my wife and I, we had several of those times. You know, my, my wife uh, worked uh, uh, at uh, 911, and you know, so uh, she was call taker dispatcher and eventually supervisor and uh, ran 911 but when our kids were little we had that come up all the time uh if uh and generally we tried to make it so we were working different shifts so there was always some sort of coverage for for the kids but there was those times things happen you you know I get a call and I got to go back to work or I'm going into work and uh all of a sudden you know you're dropping them off at we were very lucky both our uh, both grandmothers lived in town here. So, but yeah, the, yeah. Cop work and childcare. Yeah. So I, yeah, I just remember we, I, I dropped him off and said, sorry, you know, like I'll be back. When I might be back in 20 minutes and, and I, I might, might be, be back tomorrow morning. I might be back tomorrow. So mm-hmm. yeah. And that one went eight hours and eight and a half or whatever till yeah. dark and, Dude kills his wife and shoots at us and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> some of those, uh, uh, you know, when that's going on, you know, and you're trying to, uh, fix schedules, work schedules and things like that around different assignments, uh, it can be pretty difficult at times. And if you don't have that support system, in your case, sounds like you had a pretty good babysitter. We had our parents, thank gosh. But, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it's one of those deals you that comes with the job, which is, you know, you ask a lot of cops and um, they're always having to deal with things like that. Family-wise, yeah, the un—I don't the just the uncertainty of the schedule. I'm sure you probably don't remember that day, do you? He's shaking his head no. <laughs> no, I don't even know how old. Well, 2005, I guess. <laughs> he doesn't have a mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we—I had uh, 
one of the uh, cases I was uh, involved in, not necessarily a, a child care, though, you know, the funny thing happened, the fun thing I was, the reason I brought it up was after the incident happened, one of the first thoughts is I got to figure out in my head who's going to take care of the kids. Are they going to be, is there going to be somebody home? And, uh, which was a stupid thought considering the case because, um, my wife, uh, was, uh, working days at the time. So she was at least going to be there, but you know, that was the, the Robert Cameron, uh, uh, case. And what, what was that? Uh, Cameron, uh, had been in, um, I think it was been like a, a Friday or Saturday night. He was down in the bar and, uh, he's just out of prison. And, and, uh, so he's in this bar and, uh, my understanding is he hides in like the bathroom or something until after it closes and eventually, uh, sexually assaults, rapes, sodomizes the, the barmaid who was the only one working. And uh, uh, College Grove PD is able to make a ID on him, looking at him, <laughs> as I would later. It wasn't probably too hard to figure out because of all the stupid tattoos that he's got all over him. And it probably took one couple of keystrokes on a computer to come up with a, a name, a photo, and then a photo lineup, I'm assuming. Riley's going to like this story because now I know what you're talking about. What? Riley's going to like this story because now I know what you're talking about. The case? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, on Monday, <laughs> the reason I know it was a Monday because it was, uh, it was April 1st, 2002. It was a Monday because I was a really high plans for that evening. I was going to watch the championship NC2A basketball game. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> So anyway, uh, um, I go into the office. I'm in violent crimes at the time. We get the information on this guy's wanted. And uh, uh, I'm doing my thing. And um, I hear uh, on, the, on the radio a dispatch call go out that he's in a bar downtown. And uh, I guess by the time patrol gets there, he's he's gone. So uh, you know, I continued doing my my thing that day, and uh, it was probably about I'm guessing about you know one thirty two o'clock in the afternoon. Now, call comes out a uh, attempted carjack at one of the uh, parking structures downtown. There's two, but basically the overpark and the parkade. And, um, uh, this one had occurred at the, uh, the overpark suspects described as having a gun, tried to carjack this gal. Uh, apparently she gets away, calls police. Um, so I'm thinking description comes out and it sounds like Cameron. And so, uh, I happen to be, uh, driving around. So I think, well, he's tried one parking structure. He's going to the other, which is also downtown. So I, uh, I call the office. I get one of the guys. I pick him up. I said, hey, I think he's going to the parkade. Yeah, bring your vest. And so we get the parkade like 
right then and there. We get to, we st- we park on the bottom floor. Uh, we vest up and we start doing a uh, ground search for him. And we probably don't get a hundred yards into this ground search before a call comes out. He has already done a carjacking. Now he's got a kidnap victim. He's taken the victim with him now and it came from the parkade. So I'm pissed. Cause I was that I was just, who knows how late I was. It wasn't a long time at all. So he's got a kidnap victim in her car. Of course, Every unit in the city is now looking. He ends up kicking her out. And we're in that area. And we're all over the west side. And um, one of our units spots that, spots the ride. Well, we're all there and we, we end up all seeing it. And we end up in this pursuit. There's about three patrol units. I'm number four. And I'm in a, a uh, unmarked. And I got me and I got the other detective with me and get over the overpass. And what's the next huge ass intersection you got to really worry about. And that's going to be Beltline. Right. By now we're getting to about, you know, near when school's getting out two thirty, three o'clock, something like that. And so we're chasing them. <laughs> Never forget. Well, there was a supervisor came on. Got on the air and told us to call off the pursuit. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. See, and by now, and I didn't know this at the time, but uh, SWAT had been, I think they'd been training that day or something, but they're rolling on this now. And they're in the SWAT van and they're like code three because they want to be part of this because what SWAT guy doesn't. Actually had their helicopter up. I think they must have been training or something. Oh, the sure. helicopter's up top. I didn't know that. I mean, how many calls you been when there was a helicopter for you? One, I think. One? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, that was the one for me, too. So, uh, uh, anyway, uh, nobody's... You know, there's lots of sirens and things, so you, you can't hear everything that goes on in the air. So, you know... <laughs> right you know <laughs> <laughs> so anyway um one of the uh one of the vehicles the first vehicle uh that's behind the uh suspect uh behind cameron uh ends up uh tv in tvi in the uh the uh his car and spinning it uh it's TVI. tactical vehicle intervention oh, okay. um okay. basically you're getting right up at the corner turn it into the car and you, you spin the car and so it can't go any farther. So anyway, the car spins and uh, the TBI does what it's supposed to do. Um, I'm still coming up and you, you ever seen those, uh, you ever watch NASCAR or something? They show yeah. the, the replay of a crash, you know, and the, the cameras like in the dr- inside of a car, that has to go through all this smoke and everything, you know, debris. That's exactly what it looked like for me. And so the car gets TVI'd, Cameron gets out. One of the other officers ends up firing a shot at Cameron. And at, at this time, I, it ends up clipping, uh, clipping Cameron. And I don't know that at the time, but 
I'm coming up. And by now, as I get to about where Cameron's car is, he's booking and he's running up this sidewalk. And so I'm it now because all these other, the patrol officers, they've all stopped. You're the one. I'm it. So. No, you're the one. I know what happens next. Yeah. And so (laughs) (laughs) he's running and I, I see this telephone pole. And I wait for him to clear this telephone pole, and then I just gun it, and <laughs> ends up. I of course launch him, and uh, uh, ends up going over this berm. I actually drive because if he's in front, of him, I'm going to take him out again. Oh yeah! yeah. And so uh, he ends up getting launched over this berm, lands in a backyard or something. I get high centered on this berm, but he's so fucked up now he ain't going anywhere he's laid out there so actually i got a picture of uh, you see it? <laughs> yeah totally um <laughs> uh, yeah so anyway uh he was taken in custody and uh, uh goes to the hospital and he's looking in pretty bad shape and <laughs> i'm like Fuck yeah. You know what? Turn this guy's lights out. Because he was going to, and I'll I'll say this to this day, I've always said this. He, he was headed towards a shopping center, an apartment complex, an elementary school, and a high school. And he was going to take another hostage or something, and it was going to be a bad deal. Um, so I don't have any, I've never had any issues with uh um, taking them out. A lot of cops, you know, they, that was my, a lot of cops have deadly force involving guns. That was your deadly force. It was involved. I used a Ford Taurus. <laughs> <laughs> so we know the guy that like one of the guys that guarded him, you know, like, Oh yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah. and they were having some sort of a conversation. He's like, so you guys shot me. He's like, mm-hmm. I get it. I totally deserved it. He goes, but then you run me over with a Ford Taurus. <laughs> yeah, I heard that story. Yeah, one of the, uh, I, I think it was one of the detectives got a hold of our unit. Didn't talk to me directly, but talked to somebody and said that, hey, you know what? Getting shot, that's, that, you know what? No big deal. I get that. I get that. But that motherfucker that ran me over. He needs to be fucking fired. <laughs> <laughs> That's an awesome story. So, you know. <laughs> I went home that night. You know, a lot of, to be honest with you, you know, a lot of guys have a uh, hard time with things like that, you know, situations like that. <laughs> I went home. I had some whiskey. I smoked a cigar. <laughs> And I slept like a baby <laughs> because I knew that guy had to be taken out. Oh, heck, heck yeah, he did. I, I actually remember when all that happened. You know, it's, <laughs> I talked to a guy that later on, guy that I work with, he was, he was on SWAT. He says, yeah, we're going to that thing. And we're thinking, oh man, <laughs> we're going to get to <laughs> you know, do this guy. <laughs> And then it was all over, man. 
I actually talked to the spotter who'd been in the helicopter. <laughs> she, she told she worked at the jail, and uh, she told me later on when she saw me there. She said, uh, "You know, I was following that, and I'm watching this, and then I couldn't believe what I saw." <laughs> <laughs> I looked. I just said to the pilot. I think they just ran him over. <laughs> God, that's funny. <laughs> so, your career. What, you got this look on your face like, what? <laughs> what about it? Um, what's your timeline? I mean, you so I started, we all started on patrol. Yeah, so I started in patrol. And... Uh, the place I worked had less opportunity because it was smaller, but I'd say, like, I don't know this, but I would say it was more fast paced because there were less people. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. So we, yeah. So I, um, was barely a cop when I drowned my first person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which the company I work for now thinks that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I was. Uh, uh, well, I work for an international lifeguard company. So yeah, we do. We train uh, lifeguards, lifeguard instructors, like all pretty much. Not not so much in Europe, but we have cruise ships and mm -hmm. south. We have uh, water parks in Southeast Asia and the Caribbean. And so, do you start every seminar off with? Don't do this. No, 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 no. I only did a presentation on it once and everybody thought I was freaking hilarious. Oh, okay. Hey, listen, leave them laughing, man. I know, right? So I've, we, I mean, we have the, the article somewhere about that. Yeah, it's funny. My, my mother just sent me a folder of articles she had clipped out of the paper during my career that really? I didn't know she was keeping. And if it had my name in it, she clipped it out. And, uh, you know, I was actually, I, I went through it uh, just the other day, actually in kind of preparation to, for this, to be honest with you, um, because there were some things that, and I go through this and I go, there's a couple of those articles. I didn't, I couldn't remember. Oh, I totally yeah. believe that. Yeah. Um, but, and I hadn't thought about and. Literally a decade plus, but, uh, yeah, it was brought back a lot of, uh, a lot of memories, a lot of things I hadn't thought about in a long time. Yeah. So we, I mean, I worked patrol and we'd run like three guys, three guys and mm -hmm. a motor on day shift. Really? Three guys, three guys, three guys and a motor when I started. Yeah. And that was it. And a sergeant, but that fucking guy didn't count. <laughs> he's too busy back at the office yeah doing shit right it's a day shift sergeant <laughs> yeah and um yeah three guys in a motor and it was that way for i don't even know how long till i think i don't know what minimums aren't out there now but then it was like four you know four just four right. straight across whether it was whatever but back so anyway so yeah working work patrol did did that thing and i can i remember to this day like we cleared so we had this uh this is a pretty funny story so we had this car wash that we could go through 
and we had like a key for it, you know, mm -hmm. you could go through it. And so I'm in the car wash and a shooting call comes up and it's, and we just cleared briefing. So it's seven 30 in the morning, like the weird shit that happens or the really bad shit that happens happened first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. It's like, every, Oh yeah. Every super fucked up call I ever went on was on day shift. Yeah. Everyone. Mm -hmm. I don't remember except, except for one. And that was graveyard. So, but I was actually working day shift. I got called in. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I had still had like soap on my tires. I remember the old, well, actually it was the, the Chevy Caprice that had the Corvette engine in it. Right. Remember those? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah so I had that car and could never get that car cause there weren't very many of them. You know, right. I had that car. Yeah. And uh, I hit the gas coming out of that. Oh, that no. Thing. Yeah, I was like all over the road. I had soap on my tires. And then, anyway, so drew this like uh, diagram of like me being all like all fucked up on the road. It was mm -hmm. pretty funny going up to this call. But yeah, that was so that was my first. I, I, I can remember being like down the street waiting for people to set up mm -hmm. and hearing the shot that killed you know, the guy, the right. neighbor. Yeah. And uh, thinking to myself, like, holy shit, man, this is like. Um, it's real now. Yeah, it's real. I'm like, actually uh -huh. have to kill somebody. Yeah. Or it should get, I'm, I, I'm actually probably going to get in a shooting on this, like, this thing. Yeah. And Bear and I ended up arresting him. Um, but yeah, that was, so that was my, my first, like, wow, this is like the real deal. Yeah. You know, I was, I was new too when, when you hear, I heard my first shot and I was like, that really happened? You know, and there's this, I'm in this neighborhood, um, going to the, you know, the generic shots fired call and you know, nine times out of 10, you don't hear anything. Right. So I'm walking, I park and I'm walking down this neighborhood seeing if I see anything strange or anything. And damn, if a shot doesn't go off and it's a rifle shot. And I'm like, holy crap. It was one of those moments. It's my first holy crap moment, probably. And it was an old lady. She had a rifle and she was shooting at anything that walked down the street because she, shot, she thought we were all Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> Greg's rule number four. Don't ever lie. Don't ever lie. Okay. I had four rules. What four rules. What are they? That was the fourth rule? That was number four. Okay. <laughs> Not, no, it wasn't necessarily that it was like the least important. It was like the last one I want to leave you with. Okay. Yeah. It was, uh, I had four rules and I developed these rules during my career and I told them to everybody ever, I ever uh, trained. I said, I got four rules. And if you abide by these four rules, your chances of making it 99%. Just if you don't want to, if you end up not making it, it's on you. It's because you didn't want to do this. But my four rules were one, be safe. Goes without saying, right? It's like, Within that rule, it's like keep up on your training, uh, you know, your your defensive tactics, your range work, 
you know, your watch the hands, everything like that, everything that goes within be safe. That's rule one, be safe. Two, have fun. If you don't have fun in this job, you're not going to last long. You know, find the humor where you see it. And like I said, cops have different humor. We have a different type of humor. There's no question about it. But it's there. You're going to see things you've never seen before, and they're just going to make you shake your head. And then when you get back, when you get home at night, you're going to laugh your ass off. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there is a lot of humor in this work. You know, Scott will attest to that. Oh, yeah. So, and that will keep you sane. So that's rule two. Rule three, try to learn something new every day. If you don't, that's when the burnout starts. When you think you've got this job figured out and you don't have to take the extra time to read up on the new law or to read the new policy or to do anything like that, you will burn out. It's easy to do when you're new because it's an information overload. You get all this information coming and you're learning a million different things every day. But it's when you get to year five, six, and seven, you think you got this crap figured out. And I've seen this so many times. That's exactly what happens to police officers. They do that and they think, I'm done. You know, I got this figured out. Nobody can tell me anything. Well, you know what? They're the guys you don't want to work with. After that, when you've got a good idea on what you're doing, and we all get to that point, it's up to you to, if I come to this house and there's an issue, where am I going to park tactically? Think about that when you leave. It's about... What's the faster way to get to point X from point X to point Y? It's about, hey, if I have to deal with that guy again, you know, he hit his rig in his sock. It's, it's just try to learn something new every day. It can be anything, anything, but keep your mind fresh. If you don't keep your mind fresh, you burn out. How often about did recruits come through then? Or how, how often were you training recruits? A lot. Pretty often? Yeah. Was that because you were a more senior officer for... Uh, That and because nobody else would do it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, And then... It's not the most uh, glamorous or fun position. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're you're basically... uh, I can imagine it's not fun, but it's like, it's necessary. It's important. Oh, it's absolutely... Yeah, no, and and you hope that uh, they are taking what you're teaching them or trying to teach them and, um, you know, that they're taking it to heart. Uh, and you'll know that pretty much, pretty much right, right away. If they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, Trying to just get through it, get to the next thing. Yeah. Really yeah. Yeah. It's like, 
because after every shift, you know, I would talk to the recruit and we'd go over the, the shift itself. Talk about positives, negatives. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? What can we change on this? Should we change anything? You know, how you feeling? And, uh, you can get a lot of, I don't know. It's got, you know, where people you get a feel for people and you know, if they take you as somebody that, uh, um, you know, that they, um, trust or that they, your word is mean something to them or if you're just another hurdle that they're trying to get to good, get over so they, they can make their probation. You know, so I've had those that I felt that weren't necessarily trying to learn from me, but were trying to make it by me. Did you take, kind of change your tactics on how you were dealing with them for that phase as well then? Like whether they were A or B? Yeah. I, I, that's a good question because, no, actually that, that's a good question. Did I try and change my tactics? Um, I would go to a certain limit, but I wouldn't go over that. I, uh, I would try and look, I would ask him, what can I do different? To help you. How can we how can we make this work? And you know what? If they didn't have an answer, that's on them. It wasn't on me anymore. Um so yeah, to a certain extent extent I did, but um overall my routine was the same. I gave him Greg's four rules. <laughs> and I think that ought to be the name of the episode. Greg's four rules. <laughs> Greg's four rules. You remember the name? Uh, but, yeah. Okay. Uh, John Knight. Because uh, uh, I had a case when I was in violent crimes, and we had a series of uh, uh, robberies, and then they were all involved in the, uh, in, uh, we call them stop and rob convenience stores and that's exactly what this guy was doing he was stopping and robbing them but there was a bunch in eugene and i get assigned the first one the second one and it's like it's obviously the same guy right and every day i go to work there's a new one and i got about 10 of these cases right finally somebody gets a license plate on this on a, a robbery of the getaway car. Do my detective work, long story short, come up with a suspect. So it's not that short. I had to go through a couple of different hurdles, but whatever. Come up with a suspect. I got PC for this suspect on this robbery. Put out this information locate. And it's not, it's like that day. 
this guy is in and he tries to pass a bad check at one of the stores and uh the person taking the check she's a little suspicious about this and she's she makes a call to the police and she's and the guy uses his real id john knight <laughs> you don't catch the smart ones buddy <laughs> so <laughs> so she says there's this guy he's got id his name's john knight he's trying to pass his check but it looks really funny and whoever took the call goes uh-oh <laughs> a couple of officers show up and john knight don't play but he doesn't realize don't play either <laughs> so the fight's on <laughs> and you know good guys win uh get him they bring him back to uh, uh to where i'm at i take him over to uh to my department and uh, uh got him in the interview room and i end up getting this confession out of him on this series of like 10 robberies, right? I said, dude, I got you on video on all these robberies. And yeah, I actually did. You remember back in the day, it was like crappy video. It wasn't digital. All these stupid stores had this VCR stuff that was just, it was like. Yeah, bounced from camera. Yeah, yeah. It was terrible. So it was like almost, it was like uh, trying to, if you were to read something, if somebody wrote it in Russian and you're like, What's that mean to me? But anyway, I told him that I had it on video. I did, but not that great. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, you got this knife in every one of these robberies. And you put that knife over the counter every time. I said, I got you on 11 charges of attempted murder. Because you're trying to kill those clerks. He goes, Hey, no fucking way, man. All I was doing was robbing them. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Dipshit. <laughs> so he wasn't going to go down for attempted murder, but he would go down. He commit. He confessed to every one of these robberies, right? I know I got the call. I assume other cops have, have the call. The woman screaming call. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Yeah. The woman screaming call. I show up, woman screaming call, and they give us, the neighbors give us a specific address. And it is, she's just had a good, good morning. (laughs) He answers the door and he answers the door for me and says, "Uh, yeah, she was screaming. We were having sex. She pops her head out from this corner and she goes, he's right. (laughs) We were having sex. I'm like, you know, all I could do was like, you rule. (laughs) Whatever you're doing, dude, keep it up. (laughs) I'll be back for pointers. (laughs) After that call, I always took the woman screaming call and I, I always remember that I was like, okay. Cause I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that before. This says a lot about me, <laughs> but, <laughs> but after that it was like, you know, okay. 
We're gonna like lead with that. <laughs> that whole, <laughs> that whole, that's gonna be like the thing. <laughs> uh, she was so happy. <laughs> And it was this meth dealer. And Bill and I worked this case and we arrest the guy and okay, we're good. Three weeks to four months or four weeks later, three weeks to a month later, we work another case. It's the same guy, right? In the first case, we gave him this uh, CLC site. So Citation in lieu of custody. We gave him a citation to appear instead of taking him into jail, right? Because he was going to be a snitch. And yeah, he kind of snitched a little bit. But then he gets, he doesn't stop doing what he's doing. And we end up arresting him again. So we got this guy and we're going, dude, we don't, this ain't baseball. There ain't no strike three. You're going to jail. We gave you a CLC. We, you know, we said, Stop, stop making math, please. <laughs> I think we use please. Anyway, um, we said, so you, you, you fucked us. You made us look bad. We're taking you to jail. He starts begging. I'll never forget. He starts begging. Says, Come on, I'm a good guy. I said, fuck you. I think he's laughing. <laughs> he's like, you're going to jail. <laughs> and uh guy says, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do to get out of this? He's playing the same game he did the first time, right? We said, you know, give us somebody bigger. Actually, he did. But, you know, now we want really big because you made us look bad. And... uh he says, what can I do? It's like, dude, I think you're fucked. I look at the guy and said, you know what? There's only one thing you can do. Give us a murder. He does. No shit. <laughs> wow, really? Which one? He does. It's a murder down outside of in County. He goes, he tells us where the body is. No way. We call up county and we're going hey this guy might be full of shit right but, but you know we're just kind of like alright he's like he's telling us it's a blah 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 they go out and they go yep we found the body no shit well here's what the guy's stupid the investigation goes Douglas County does their investigation right he was involved in the murder <laughs> If he'd just gone to jail from, the, from cooking meth, you know what? How much time does he do? But he was involved in the homicide. Jesus, man. When he said, I'll give you a murder, I said, give us a murder. And he says, okay. I'm thinking to myself, did I, did I just hear that? You hear that same thing? <laughs> <laughs> okay, whatever. Yeah, but you know, like, that's the reality of, like, how... F- like how incredibly fucked up like law enforcement is like you like you're like hey give us some murder and they go okay i was just joking 
I know. And when it came yeah. out of my mouth, I was like, yeah, you're not you're going to jail. <laughs> Give me a murder. It's the only way you're going to get out of this. <laughs> okay. Well, here's where the body is. <laughs> Tells this guy, you know, I, I forget the method of death, but he was telling us that either, you know, the guy got stabbed or shot or something. And we're like, you know, whatever. Okay, whatever. And they go out and they find the body. God. <laughs> and at the time, we had no information that this guy was obviously involved in the murder other than he was clued in. He was, he gave us names on who told him about the murder. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The whole thing. All right. So we give him a citation to appear in court. You'd think the guy would like book, right? Nope. We go to the search warrant. He's there. It's not like a, you know, it's like, it's God knows. We don't catch the smart ones. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about the last thing. Let's talk about Chris. No. Like, uh, I was... Worst day of my uh, career. I was not working. So, I was... I, was, I wasn't either. I was on a day I, off. I was done. Yeah. I was actually on my bike, mm-hmm. my bicycle, and uh, doing a workout. And I can remember hearing all the sirens, mm-hmm. you know, because I hadn't been, like, not working for that long. But... yeah. Uh, I can remember hearing sirens and sirens and sirens and sirens and more sirens. And Yeah. Um, I wish there was another drink so we could toast him. To Chris. There's to Chris. You know, um, I'll, I'll start off by, by uh, uh, saying that, uh, and actually I told the story at, uh, at the wake that we had for Chris. Um, I had, you know, I've alluded to earlier when I came back from violent crimes, went to patrol, went to patrol, was working nights. Chris was one of the guys on my team. I didn't know him from Adam. Okay. Never worked with him before. He was always a nice guy to me you know, briefing or just, you know, messing around and things like that. Great guy. And that would never change. Uh, he was that way with everybody. Um, but one of the cases that Chris and I had, and like I said, I told this at his, uh, at the wake that we had for him after his funeral was that, Chris and I went to, it was probably maybe day two after we were working together, night two, actually. So went to a family dispute. And uh, husband, wife, he's beaten her. She's got physical injury. It's an APA case. And it's it's like an APA, APA case now. Let's do this and... But that was my attitude. I'm talking to her. He was the primary. So the primary in general 
at least where I where we worked was, you know, you took what you suspected was a suspect, and of course, it's usually the husband boyfriend. So he's got, he's got the guy. I'm dealing with her. She's got physical injury. She tells me what happened. I give him the uh, universal sign and you know for podcast purposes i'm putting my two wrists together meaning i'm handcuffed and that that this guy's going it's a done deal i don't care what he's telling you he's going and so i walk over there and chris is you know talking 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 i'm like chris says hey give me a minute to the guy He's going to talk to me. I'm like, why the hell aren't we hooking this guy up, man? Because I'm, and to be honest with you, I probably got a different attitude about things. Hey, hook the guy up. Let's do our job. Let's move on. Right. Yeah. And triage. Yeah. And uh, so I said, uh, Chris, we get PC on this guy, probable cause to, for, APA. He's got to go. Let's, let's do this. I said, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm just kind of killing him with a little bit of kindness. I said, Chris, I don't know if it's working on him, but you're killing me. (laughs) Let's do this. And so we end up hooking him. Everything works out. Okay. He doesn't fight or anything. He goes to jail. Like you should. But, and this is the second part <clears throat> of my Chris Colin issue or story is that, and I also said this at his wake, is that every day Chris showed up with a smile. Every day. And Chris was, I don't know that Chris could ever be mean to anybody. I mean, he was nice to everybody to the point that if you were cover unit, it got kind of irritating sometimes like let's do this. Come on, man, let's move on. But as far as coworkers or not just police officers, but you could be the guy mopping the floors at EPD. Chris was a class act. And you know what? Chris was so nice to everybody. And I'll be honest, at the time, I did not appreciate it the way I should have. And that's on me. And that is the biggest regret I have to this day after his death. Actually, I should say the second biggest regret. I wish I could have been there with him. To Chris. He was everything that everybody said about him after he died. And I wish everybody could have known him before. Um, We hear about people all the time after they die about what great people they are and maybe we knew them before and we're going 
Well, that wasn't the guy I knew. <laughs> but Chris was when I when I retired, and this is not If this comes out as a uh, self-pat on the back, I don't mean it to be. But my goal during my career had been that I would never go to a Eugene police officer funeral that was killed in the line of duty. I missed that by five months. Um when later on after Chris died the normal routine was that the department would give you X amount of money and you could have um, you know this they call them shadow boxes and they they put your badge and your all your stripes or whatever your, your awards and things and they they they'd make this thing for you and give it to you and you know, whatever. And there was X amount of money and there was a going away, uh, party, which was a cake and all those other things. And I'd been to many of these things prior to that. Uh, and what I found out of most of those things is, most of the people that were there were there because they could get out of work. <laughs> they didn't know you. <laughs> they didn't care about you. But they knew about you. They heard about you. They heard your name. And so I, uh, I told the department, I said, look, um, I don't want to party. I said, the, you know, the people that I care about and the people that care about me will tell me things that they want to tell me. And I said, take the money and honor Chris. And actually, I have the, the picture of Chris, but I, uh, I said, frame this picture, and I want you to put it in the briefing room because I want this thing... I want this picture to be the last thing guys go out and... Oh, you got it? No, I'm not. Show oh. me. Show me, man. I said, uh, I said, I want this to be the last thing guys see before they go out and work. I, was, I always loved that picture, Chris. So, uh, anyway... What they did was uh, they did uh, actually take that photograph and frame it. And, um, you know, I can't tell you right now that the picture's still up in the briefing room. Certainly hope it is. Uh, I can tell you, though, that I did go to the department because I had a court subpoena after I retired and it was there. Um, but that was, um, back before they moved buildings. I certainly hope it's there because I don't think anybody should forget not just him, but, um, 
you know, the, the person that he was and the police officer that he was, he, uh, he taught me to probably not be so maybe cynical. He kind of drew me back from that, that, that ledge. Um, I'm not going to lie and tell you that uh, I didn't ever tell Chris, look, dude, we need to move on. Okay. There are some people we can't fix. Um, but Chris always saw the positive in everybody. And, you know, I wear this every day. Um, you know, people ask me about it sometimes when they see it, you know, what happened? And, There's no long story for that. There's no, you can tell somebody, yeah, it was a guy that a friend of mine I worked in, I worked with and he was killed, murdered in the line of duty. And, but that doesn't cover, uh, cover what, what he did or what he meant or, um, Certainly what he meant to everybody certainly included his, his family. Right. But, um, you know, we, we've, we've joked about motor units. Chris probably wasn't one of those guys. I know that's why. You know, I, uh, Chris would have been one of those motor units who gets out and, changes your tire for you and then apologizes because it took so long. <laughs> uh, I, I remember being in a jail with him like multiple, multiple times where like he arrested so many fucking people. Chris was very active. Yeah. And you know what? He did. Chris could talk them into the handcuffs yeah. if they were the right people. Yeah. But it was just like, oh, when I, when I, you know, when I first worked with him, I was like, dude, we got to move on. <laughs> I love you, brother. And I got your back, man. But there are some guys you can't fix. And that's just how good a guy he was. Uh, he, <laughs> he got a call one night. And I heard this call go out. And like I said, I came back to patrol after work, violent crimes, right? And I heard this call go out and I go, oh my goodness, this is a clusterfuck. (laughs) Because it's a sex abuse involving a kid and he's got to go to this residence, right? Deal with this. And it's just him, right? There's no suspect there, so they just send him. And I'm thinking... And I'm thinking, okay, all right. He gets there, and I'm like, half hour later, I'm thinking, I get him on one of our uh, channels, not our primary channel or anything. I said, so, uh, how's it going? He goes, well, I said, say no more. You want me in route? He says, 
that'd really be helpful. <laughs> and so I get there and I get a feel for what's going on. I say, hey, Chris, I said, here's what you need to do, ABC. I said, here's what I'll do, DEF. I said, when you're done here, go back to the department. I'll go back to the department. We'll get it all together. It's all good. I said, we got this. And he, Chris's head is spinning. He has no idea. I might as well have been speaking Russian. <laughs> and But he does what he does. He has no idea what I'm doing or why I'm doing it or how it's going to turn out. But we get together and I said, this is why we do this. This is why we do that. This is what's going to happen. And tomorrow... This is what's going to happen. This is why I told mom to take her kid to this location at one o'clock in the afternoon to be interviewed. You know, the kids interview for, and uh, Chris was like, well, geez, man, thanks. You know? And I was like, yeah, it's no big deal. It's not, it's not a big deal. And, um, but like I said, you always hear good things about people after they've died. Chris was the guy that all those things are true. You know, I had, uh, that was my worst day of my career. But if you were to ask me my best day of my career. Yeah. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I had too many best days. So some of this you're using for a book? Yeah, so the so Cops, mm -hmm. so the TV show Cops yeah. was off of a book called book. Cops. Right. Which is somewhere in here that I can't find. Um and it's yeah, it's just a bunch of like vignettes of like you know, this should happen, that should happen. Nice. Yeah. And I've always thought like, man, I want to rewrite that book. Mm -hmm. of today yeah yeah and um so like my dad you know he started being a cop in like 72 or something like that mm -hmm. like i grew up on the fun like none of them were horrible stories like none of them like we have like you and <laughs> you and i have like some fucked up stories like that haven't even hit i've told stories here today that my kids don't know yeah, well, I mean, that's... And you, you, you but, protect your kids from that kind of but, thing. Yeah. But, but that's the idea behind yeah. this, right? Right. It's like, and so when I talked on Tuesday, because I told them already, I'm like, this is the shit you like, you want your grandparents, or not your grandparents, but your grandkids to know, but not exactly right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so... Um, but I grew up on those stories. Hmm. I did. That's they cool. Fucking. They were always funny. So is that what got you into police work? It was was yeah. it your dad and was my dad. that whole thing? Yeah. It was my dad huh. and the people that he worked with and worked you know worked for and he would have people come over because they were always work five eights, you know, or yeah. whatever they're whatever that's called. And um they would have people come over and they would they would drink after work, right. you know, and tell stories. And, like, That's interesting. Fucking awesome. 
And I read Joseph Wamba. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, starting when I was probably mm-hmm. junior high. I've read every one of his books. So we go to Moab to go mountain biking. Uh-huh. And uh, he brings a he brings a cop that's bring, been a cop like, no shit, three and a half years. And he says to us, I've never been in a fight. <laughs> that what? was exactly my response. He's been a cop three years? Three, three and a half years. And he's, and never, he's never been, been in a fight? Never been in a fight. How does that even happen? That's what I want to know. When when you had texted me, yeah, she and I were doing something or something. I was text. I texted back. She goes, "Who's that?" And I said, "Oh, it's Scott James." She goes, "Oh, really? How's he doing?" I said, "Well, ah, good." She's like, "What's he want?" Said, well, he wants me to help him with a podcast. She's like, "You? They want to talk to you?" Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I said, "Yeah, well, you know, I'm gonna talk to him on a podcast." So. Um, that probably cut everything I say out, but oh God, no, that's their waste of time, not mine. That's cut, well, he's going to cut everything out. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's kind of the thing, though. Nobody thinks their story is like any good. Yeah, you know that's that's the truth. The only person who has any ego is the guy that was like you guys were saying earlier on CNN or Fox or whatever. Who yeah, has the big news story. How many stories do you have in your head that you would only tell to another cop? Pretty much everybody, everything. So so that's exactly the point of this whole thing, right? Is like, so we, you know, we talked to a guy a couple days ago, which was the same thing. And he, believe it or not, like this guy, so this guy is like an amazing storyteller. Like, and I knew that. And that's the reason Mm -hmm. I wanted to get him on the, you know, like do the thing. And, um, but even he held back. And I know he did because I know some of the shit that he's, yeah, that he's, but so that's, yeah, but that's how cops are. Well, I know, but like you, you're only going to tell whatever fucked up story it is to me. To other cops. I had a guy one come up to me one day at, uh, yeah, I don't know, it was on some gathering party or something, some social thing. And, uh, uh, somebody introduced us. I didn't know this guy. They always introduce you as a cop. Oh, fuck off. Yeah. Right. Which is not good. Yeah, never. No. Never. No. Unless it's another cop. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. That's like the only exception. Then it's, yeah, that's the only exception. Because it's like, you know... (laughs) So anyway, the guy that I'm introduced to, he starts talking to me and I'm like, whatever. You know, I, I'm i not listening to half of what he's saying. And then he does this. He punches me, kind of taps me on the shoulder. He says, so you work like homicides and things, right? And I said, mm, yeah. He says, so what's the worst thing you've ever seen? Yeah, it's like, you know what, dude? And I, this is what I told him. I said, bro, I did not come here to relive the worst day of my career right. for your entertainment. 
a funny story I told my kids because they were they were kids and it was clean was you know uh, I go to a call mental subject right they're all mentals so we go and we knock on the door of this apartment guy opens the apartment and yeah he's nuts he's crazy ass nuts and but he's not a danger to himself or others he's just nuts but he's got this cast iron fry pan on the stove right and he's cooking i said i look over there there's four d-cell batteries in the cast iron pot in like i assume wesson oil or vegetable oil right i said dude what you cooking he looks at me like I am the dumbest son of a bitch that ever lived. You know what he says? Energy stew, motherfucker. 